You were listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here with my dad, Erwin Raphael McManus. It's so good to be here with you today. I'm really excited. We did we do a thing called McManus on the Hillsong channel. Yes. And this is kind of the follow-up to our consumerism and Christmas episode that they released this last week. And then on top of that, yes, Netflix has a documentary coming out. Oh, what's it called? In a couple of days. Oh, what's it called? With the Minimalists. Ooh, I like them. I love them. And <laughs> so I, I'm going to give a shout out. Go watch the documentary when it comes out in yes. a week or so. Yes. Their first one, I think over 20 million people watched it. Yeah. On minimalism. You are in the trailer. I'm in the, the trailer. The I'm second. also in the film. Yeah. You're in the film. Yeah, yeah. I love these guys. and They're really and, awesome. And so I thought it'd be a great conversation to talk about it. How is it possible that I would be one of the featured people on a documentary on minimalism? I would be on the Hillsong channel talking about consumerism. And I would also be the founder of a company that starts a high-end luxury uh, fashion brand. Yes. Are those things irreconcilable? Well, the funny thing was uh, some of the great guys from the team at Hillsong um, were sending me, like, were posting the stories of, of the clips for the this this week's episode right. on consumerism and Christmas. And I responded with, like, a joking response mm-hmm. because they would never make fun of us, but I know they're all <laughs> thinking it. And I said, oh, you mean the episode of the two hypocrites who started <laughs> a high-end luxury fashion company and with a crying emoji, and they all just started laughing. But I, I said that jokingly, but I know people are thinking that. Yes. And so can we can you break us down? Because if, you, if you're new to this or if you're just listening to this episode and you haven't listened to the, the last couple episodes, just a, a, a season recap, mm-hmm. we have launched a brand, Erwin Raphael McManus, high-end luxury. Mm-hmm. We have some lower price point stuff, more manageable. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the most expensive jacket is thirty two fifty, and mm-hmm. that's a beautiful parka um, handmade in – Los Angeles, California. Made of vintage repurposed World War II yeah, campus half shelters. They, I could not even give you a price on how invaluable yeah. they, they are. Mm-hmm. So um, we've started that. We've also done episodes on consumerism and Christmas. We've mm-hmm. also are talking, you're on the, the new Netflix uh, movie, uh, the second installment on The Minimalist, which is all about being minimal and throwing away stuff. And and, minimalism, yeah. And, and so, and here who we, and then we were also... And maybe the most important thing that we get to do is we get to be a part of our church mosaic and on the lead teams there and being pastors there. And so, and mosaic you know, is my sanity. I yes. love you, mosaic. You are my family, my community, my tribe. Thank no. you for uh, giving yeah. me a place to to be me. And we have just the best, best people. And so, you know, here we are. We're going to break this down. And by we, I mean you. And, and we're, I'm going to jump several different places along the way, but I want to I want to highlight three words before we dive into the specifics. Okay. I am four ideas, I am four ideals, but I am adamantly, passionately against ideologies. And I think that... Can you explain why first? Yeah. Why, why, let's go work backwards. Why are you against ideologies? Well, I have to get to the, go to the other ones to get to the ideologies. No, but, but why are you against ideologies? Just- ideologies are the extensions of ideas and ideals where now you're imposing how to live those out for everyone. And so when you have um, an idea that um, the world can be a place where everyone has a chance to live a beautiful life, that's that's an idea. Your ideal would be, um, you know, that everyone would 
move toward compassion. Everyone would move toward integrity. Everyone would move toward generosity. And, uh, and I'm a person of ideas. I love ideas. I think human history is advanced through ideas, that, that every culture that values ideas actually has a distinct advantage over every other culture that is not. In the same way, every company that values ideas, every family that values ideas. And, and it's, it's actually a rare thing when, I, when ideas are valued and allowed to be expressed freely. Not every idea is good. Not every idea can actually be practically applied. But I love the world of ideas. And, you know, we do this thing called the strength finder. And my number one strength is something called futuristic, and my number two is called ideation. So I'm a person with a thousand ideas all the time, and I realize most of my ideas will never see the light of day, but I love dreaming. I also am a person who has a high value for ideals. I, I think ideals are aspirational. I think ideals are the, are the fans and pain of the soul. The fact that human beings can imagine a world with peace or imagine a world of justice or imagine a world where everyone has food or there's no poverty, there's um, no violence. Those ideals are interesting to me because we've never experienced any of those. <laughs> We've never had a world fully at peace. We've never had a world where everyone had justice. We've never had a world where there was no poverty. And so these ideals are in the same category as our idea of God. Hmm. And when people say, well, you know, why do we believe in God? I go, well, then why do we believe in ideals? Because ideals are not only something that we've never experienced, we've ex our, all of human history tells us those ideals cannot exist. And yet, even that statement doesn't resonate with me because I believe they can. And because there's something inside of me that drives me toward human ideals and personal ideals. The problem is when it becomes an ideology. When we take ideas and ideals, and now we try to superimpose on other people how they should live. Can you give us some examples of ideologies? I can give you maybe a couple. One would be um, in Christianity where you have, I, you have you know, ideas, and then you have ideals. But the, when it becomes an ideology, it becomes you should not smoke, you should not drink, you should not dance. <laughs> you should, and so we begin to create an ideology of, of a dogma of how a person should live out those ideals. Would you say, I'm going to bring up a couple of things and we can cut whatever you, we don't like out. Yeah. Would you say going to church every Sunday was an idea that turned into an ideal, turned into an ideology. Yeah, I think that when Yes or no, just yes or no quick. It, it, yes and no. When uh, I, but no, but, but pick one and then follow the line, and then you can come back into it. But I, I, I think from the honest of like your human heart, do you, think it, do you think it was or not? No, because it says do not forsake the assembling of the brethren. Like, right. you know, as some have the habit of doing. So in the scriptures, it seems to talk about coming together as an ideal. When you're being judged on whether you show up every week, that becomes an ideology. Right. So the Sunday thing, yes, is an ideology that... Yes, it can. Yeah, I think across history, it probably falls more into ideology than it does ideal. Yeah. But it's not a get yeah. out of church on Sunday free card. No, because you're supposed to be living it out every single day. Yes. So, so Sunday isn't supposed to be the one day. So, yeah, you're right. And you're right. <laughs> it is an ideology. But I just the reason mm -hmm. I wanted you to stick one, I just like to see if you stick one and then you can always... But no, then you no, always no, show no. that how it's like it doesn't... Yeah. It's, it's, it's cyclical. But you see, it's because ideals can become ideologies. 
Yeah. Even, but, it's, but ideologies are not always bad. No, well, they're certainly not bad for the people who hold them. <laughs> <laughs> hold on. I want to start over because I want to cut that out. Because I, 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 No, no, because I just, I don't know. I don't want to be attacking Sundays either. Like I, I love church on Sundays. But I think so many things, I, I like, I dislike church on Sundays and I like church on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And I dislike it when people are like, we can be the church when we're surfing. I'm like, shut your mouth. <laughs> I'm just like, whatever, get out of here. But you know, like people are like that. Christians can get like that. We're like, don't are we do still going? What? Are we still going? I don't know. I'm just kind of talking trash right now. <laughs> I guess we should start over. Should we start over? Okay, let's start over. Can we Brooke's saying no. Brooke's saying no. Brooke's saying no. Keep going. Just, let's just keep going. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it started back with ideologies. So, okay. So thank you for no, bringing We're going to keep all this in. Yeah. We're, we're going to let you hear what we didn't intend for you to hear because I do I'm think. I'm so sorry. No, no. It, it's, it's important because. You're a kid who grew up in church. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out if I and, don't go, and, I, should I feel bad? And it became an ideology because if you didn't go to church, you were bad. Well, I was hanging out with one of my buddies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've recently reconnected with my buddies, Kevin. I have a photo of when we were little kids, yeah. like four years old. I mean, wow. I was... Was I four? Because he's... It's crazy. He's two years younger than me. He yeah. looks bigger than me. Well, he is bigger than me. He's 6'2". I'm 5'10". Um, but in the photo, I look like way younger than he does. Mm-hmm. We're at a birthday party, and... I haven't seen him. I hadn't seen him in 20 years. And then oh. I show up to Pepperdine. We're in a marketing class and they do roll call on the first day of the class. Mm-hmm. I hear Kevin's name. He hears my name. And we both are like, what the heck? <laughs> so now we've like stayed friends 10 years later and we've we've been hanging out. And, and it's just, we were talking about how we didn't go to church on Sundays. Our parents were at church every day. <laughs> They would, like, I don't know what kind of thing you ran, but there people were at different men's groups and women's yeah. groups, and they, people were at the church almost every night. And and we remember being, like, so fun, but we both love the church mm-hmm. now. We both love God. And it's just funny because we're laughing. We're like, yeah, we went our own ways, and we found our way back, but, like, we always had this, like, really joyful, like, nature about, like, <laughs> the church was kind of the center place of, mm-hmm. like, of everything, of fun yeah. and hanging out, and we support each other's businesses and all these things. Anyways, keep going. No, uh, so... That was just a tangent. No, no. So Christianity or church or religion can become an ideology. Mm-hmm. And so, you, you know, that you pray five times a day at a certain time in a certain direction becomes an ideology. Rather than believing in uh, the principle of prayer, you start giving people the specific practices of prayer. And if you don't do it that way, then it's wrong. When you're praying through a rosary, it becomes an right. ideology rather than an idea or an ideal, a connection with God, intimacy. And, I really love this concept that you're talking about. And like, so, I, and and I think this is where sometimes people don't understand me is that I'm a person who really believes in ideas. And so, when you're and when you have ideologies, you're afraid of ideas that violate the ideology. You're also a preventer of ideology. Yes, because you create great, incredible patterns, and I've watched you pull them when you feel like they've become traditions. Well, when they become an ideology, and people start becoming legalistic around that way that everyone has to live this way. Yeah. Yes, I, I try to destroy that on your own ideas, on yes. things that you've and you're like, no, no, yep. we're changing it now because it's become too religious. Yeah, too- I remember early on in my life when people were really upset because I was changing things that. Um, had been done in the past. I remember saying in a meeting, I can't wait till the ideas are rooted in me because now then no one can feel I'm attacking someone else. I'm attacking my own ideas. Right. And right. Like the traditions and like yeah. and isms and things. Everybody like- starts traditions. And so now I get to just destroy the traditions that I started. Yeah. And so I'm not offending anyone else. Right? I feel like there's only <laughs> you know? I feel like that just to make this personal, I feel like there's only like two traditions at Mosaic. Well you say this, you say nothing is sacred except for like 
Jesus and the Bible. Because mm-hmm. we've never been about buildings, we've never been about all the yeah. things that I think most churches have been about. But I like just fun things. Like I know for sure the Christmas tree is getting built every time, every 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 Christmas <laughs> that we're on Hollywood Boulevard in La Brea. That Christmas tree That's is right. getting built as on that corner. As long as we can breathe and we have access to this corner, <laughs> that tree's going up. <laughs> and it's made out of like repurposed like, crates, like broken down mm-hmm. crates that are like they take yeah. the wood and they build this like beautiful tree and they paint it wide and they have a cross on the top. It's like beautiful. It's on Hollywood Boulevard in La Brea, and it's become like. Iconic. The TMZ tour bus that like takes everyone stops and tells everyone this is Mosaic. This is the church on Hollywood Boulevard. Okay. So I'm going to give a controversial ideal that moves into an ideology. Okay. Um, Pro-life, pro-choice. Okay. And an ideal is that every child that um, is in a mom's womb would actually be given a chance to live. An ideal is that every woman has the right and the freedom to make their own choice. Those are two ideals, and then they become ideologies. So then the person who says abortion is always wrong, their ideology doesn't allow them to even consider what happens during rape, incest, or the life and health of the mother. Because the ideology is so rigid, it can't think outside of itself. And then you have the ideology on the other side where you have um, pro-choice. Mm-hmm. And so there are individuals even now um, who represent us in Washington who would say that abortion, even to the day or moment of birth, is um, the legitimate right of a woman and that we should have no protections at all for that child in the womb. But... If a woman is attacked and that child is killed, that other person can actually be charged for murder. And so the the ideal becomes an ideology and doesn't even consider, well, wait a minute, forget the law. When do we when do we become a species that has diminished the value of a human being? Because when you say, well, that's not a human, that's just not true, because the only thing we can actually give birth to are humans. And, and those are two ideals that, if left to themselves, I don't know how you could argue with those ideals. And they both have merit. But when they become ideologies, you can't even have a conversation anymore. And I was thinking about the other day how I'm not a huge fan of Karl Marx for a number of reasons. But Karl Marx had ideas and ideals. But he didn't really live in such a way where he had the opportunity to turn it into an ideology. He didn't have the power or the influence or maybe even the personal capacity. But Stalin turned the ideas and ideals of Marx into an ideology and forced an entire nation into an ideology of socialism, which brought devastating poverty and then um, resulted in the death of millions of people who did not submit to the ideology. Hmm. And so I, I think that it's really important for us to evaluate and examine ourselves and go, what are the ideas I have? What are the ideals that I hold? And what are the ideologies that I hold other people in contempt when they don't agree? So how do you prevent your idea? Because So what you're saying, though, is that almost anything can turn 
go into an idea, into an ideal, into an ideology. And the danger is that when you have power, you can turn your ideals into ideologies. And then I, well, but what I also hear you saying is that the people who have the power are the followers, right? Because b- before Stalin, there was Karl Marx. And so in one way or another, the, Car- Stalin was a follower of Carl, Karl Marx. Yes, he And yeah. so he had more power to integrate his ideals into ideologies. And so I think as a leader or as a, th- or as a thinker or as someone who is making actions, you mm-hmm. have to think about how this will be taken into the next generation mm-hmm. and how this will be turned into an ideology by someone either good or evil. Mm-hmm. Because I think the reality is that s- Karl Marx, I think if you took out the good or evil, mm-hmm. if you just take the idea and, right. his, and his pr- him taking this idea of Karl Marx and then projecting it on his nation and his leadership, the idea pr- was proven to be evil because Definitely. of the way that it played out throughout history. Yeah, you cannot say that the ideas of Marx have created a healthy ideology. But I guess you could say the same thing about Christianity because evil men have taken the ideals of Jesus mm-hmm. and have destroyed it. Right, so you have the... I, that's a very good application. You have the ideas and ideals of Jesus, and then you have the ideology of Catholicism, the ideology of of, um, of evangelicalism or Protestant you know, yeah. uh, Christianity... And you have to look at those and go, wait a minute, does the ideology actually match the ideals or is it now trying to impose a construct on people? And I want to apply this to even our present day, like conversation about consumerism and minimalism and, and McManus and uh, you know, our, our, our company, because I realize that a lot of the criticism is because people don't have ideals, they have ideologies. And if you do not do things the way they think it should be done, you're now evil. But you would, like, in like layman's terms, that's saying you don't know why you do what you're doing. You just do what you're doing because other people have done it. You've been taught to do it this way. And you've been taught that certain things are right and wrong and you don't even know why. Right. And, and it's why people are Republicans and Democrats and never even question whether they agree with everything the Republican Party says or whether they agree with everything the Democratic Party says because they become ideological. Yeah. And rather than holding to ideals and saying um, everything should be evaluated hmm. and, uh, and I'm not going to hold on to an ideological view of the world. I, I've been, I love West Wing. <laughs> like I love West Wing a lot. Same. But, same. But <laughs> Brian, that's Brian Harley. Um the 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 reason why I like it is it's obviously written by Aaron Sorkin and and that was kind of like I think I think that was like his big breakout thing that became made him very well known. Mm-hmm. But he's obviously like a liberal Democrat. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. saying obviously, but at least he's writing from that perspective. Sure. What I do love is that how he portrays conservatives in one of two ways: just absolutely evil or completely fascinating because he, he'll give them like a heroic narrative and some of mm-hmm. like there's some really some of the greatest heroes in the show. Or some of the uh, conservative characters. Like, um, right, and but, I find it really interesting because he's breaking down, because he'll build the whole ideal around a liberal, super socialist based liberal president, J.D. Bartlett. Mm-hmm. I think it's J.D. Bartlett. And Jed. Then, yeah? J E D. Josiah. But they call him Jed. No, it's Jed. It's Jed. It's Jed. It's Jed. It's Jed. Yeah. Oh, it's Josiah Bartlett. Yeah, yeah. But they call him Jed. They call him Jed. That doesn't make any sense to me. Mr. President. I'm in season three, I still don't understand. But you have these really interesting Republican characters that mm-hmm. he brings in, and you're just like, oh, the fact that you're able, he's able to write it from a place where a, a liberal would never, and I mean this like on both sides, liberal conservative, where he knows that he's writing it in a way the left never sees conservatives in a human, beautiful, like human 
paradoxical nature where he's going like these are people who were born and bred Republican, born and bred Democrats, and they don't mm-hmm. stray. Mm-hmm. And so there, he's like, and there's this collision of like in politics. And I think that's it's a really great show to to watch because of the way that it breaks down certain ideals. And it's mm-hmm. subtle if you're a conservative, and you might want to throw things at the TV all the time. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's a really interesting thing to have things in your life that are actually turning things upside down. I do think it's interesting that uh, in West Wing, he has a very strong perspective that the Democrats are the, the geniuses. They're the ones that are super educated. They're the ones that are intellectuals. They're brilliant. They're all Ivy League. But then you get the... Well, no. And, and then they're the ones that are supposedly the most aware of how the common everyday person sees and thinks and wants their lives played out when they're they're actually not the ones who are in touch with the grassroots of everyday people they they right. they have a view of how everyone should live but yeah. they actually live in a very isolated bubble of elitism and intellectualism it's very interesting and so then you have the firecracker lawyer who's the Republican that he hires in the second season who's a conservative. And she's, and she's I wish there was so much more of that that happened where Democrats and Republicans actually worked yeah. with each other and for each other. It would it would make the world so much better. Okay, sorry. I've gone on this off topic, but yeah. keep going. Go back to it. Yeah. No, it's good. I love this topic. I love the West Wing. I do too. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I think we do we could do a whole episode in West Wing. Oh, no, no, no. no but the reason I was talking about that because I, I it was there was two characters. There's and I I cannot remember names of literally anyone on shows there was a uh, a gay republican who is fighting with josh lyman talking about why because josh lyman is going how can you be a part of the republican party if you're gay and a republican and he's going i do not make it about my sexuality which is very interesting and that would have been very on its head especially 20 years ago when this show came out to have a gay republican in a White House behind the scenes argument of like this, this, and this. And he's, you know, he's like, you're a traitor because they don't believe in your, for your sexuality. And he's like, no, you don't understand. I believe in the other part of the party. Like there's somewhat different ideals. I, and then you have the, I can't, what's the lawyer's name? The blonde lawyer's name? Ainsley Hayes. Ainsley Hayes. Who's just Brian the, is like, a West Wing the firecracker, oh like on it. And she's just inside of like Sam's world of like, she's on the lawyer, like the legal team. And she, and the president hires her because she embarrasses one of the communications guys. who's also a really intelligent mm-hmm. lawyer and wipes, wipes him clean on this like mm-hmm. CNN show. And then he's like, we need to hire her because she thinks differently than us and I want her protecting us. Mm-hmm. I do think we don't really have that those those things set up in our own lives. Mm-hmm. You've, I, I find a lot of people, especially when I was living in Orange County for that year, so many Christians get f- fed whatever theology, ideology, and they don't actually realize that they have this ingrained, whether it's a, like segregation, segre- how, do you, how do you pluralize segregation? Segregated, a segregated ideology of the way they see the world, the way they see other people. Mm-hmm. We cannot be friends with people who don't know God because they don't, because our kids are in danger if they're around their kids. They like, they don't have anyone else challenging their thinking. They would never watch a show like West Wing because I'm sure some pastor put a ban on it and they can't watch it. It's on their, their blocked list. And so like, how do we set ourselves up and posture ourselves to be able to properly challenge ideologies in our world or even to identify ideologies in our world. Because I think so oftentimes we do things a certain way and we don't know why we do them and we don't even know that we do them a certain way. We just are doing them. Yeah. Oh, I can give you an example that I don't, you're not even aware of, but when we moved to LA, we were going to a church and um, I think I said something one day about I'm going to Universal Studios and one of the leaders said, oh, you're not allowed to go. And I said, what are you talking about? 
because our pastor banned everyone from anything Universal. You can't go to Universal Movie. You can't go to Universal Studios. I said, "What are you talking about?" Well, he goes, "Well, they produced the Passion of the Christ and and the Passion of the Christ. Uh, the pa- no, um, no, no, the, the, the Last no, no. Temptation of Christ." I'm like, "Passion of the Christ." Sorry, you sorry, no. literally no, took no. everyone to go. Way, way before that, the Last Temptation of Christ. Yes, and, yes, 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 yes. And I thought you're going to boycott. You're going to live in LA and boycott Universal because of a movie they made. Yeah, and. And we I just, end up boycotting the people we're sent to reach. Yeah, and I thought, this is so stupid. And of course, I went to Universal. That's when an ideal becomes an ideology. An idea moves to an ideology. When you start telling people how to live. The other one was voting. <laughs> voting in the church. You were telling me this story last night. You're like, you, like you, you were part of the church, and you had to literally hold a vote to stop voting inside the church because you, <laughs> you were like, voting isn't actually biblical. And so one of the young guys was like, why? Why did we? Why? Wait. What? What did? What was? It, what was the argument? Was like, why are we voting to to vote? No. I came in. And he goes. Why are? Why are we not voting anymore? And I said, Well, let's look at the Bible. Voting isn't actually biblical. Yeah, yeah. And then after he looked at, it, he goes, Then why did you vote tonight? I said, Because this church votes, so I had to have you vote to not vote anymore. <laughs> and, uh, but it was like such a great, like, real conversation because he was like headstrong one way, and then he was like, Okay, headstrong the other yeah, way. Yeah, completely. But but, it, but how do we not? Why do we become so thirsty for ideologies and not Uh, ideals and ideas? Because ideologies allow us to not have to think. Ideologies do our thinking for us, and so they make the world simpler. They make the world easier. They uncomplicate things. They they eliminate uncertainty. And so the moment you move toward an ideology, not only is your life certain, but now you have a measure by which you can judge other people. And and the reason this came to my mind is when I was looking at the criticisms for starting my line and and uh, and the price points and everything like that, we didn't get any criticism from people who did not believe in Jesus. Like all the criticism came from Christians. And and so I started thinking about what are the ideologies that are shaping this level of criticism. And, and there are several of them because they kept the pointing to Jesus, but that's why I actually went back and started doing some, you know, um, revisiting of, of Marx because I thought, oh, I think these Christians think they're reflecting Jesus. They're actually reflecting Marx, and they don't realize that their ideology isn't shaped by the Bible at all. It's in, so you're saying these Christian conservatives are actually have socialist ideals. They don't know that they do. Right. But... Uh, but the ideology has been shaped by other forces, and certainly not uh, by like Jesus. And 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 I think some of what was more interesting to me because I, I'm 62 and I've lived a long life, and I just can't worry about what someone else is saying about me that doesn't know me. And I'm 32. I'm super worried. Talk to me. <laughs> Talk to me. No. Super worried. Let's go. But. Um, uh, let me just like maybe address like one of the issues. When someone said, uh, well, uh, well, first of all, I saw this guy who, and his color does matter. So I'm going to say a white guy who's an, a musician who looks very mid-America and you know, very almost like a classic hipster look. And he posed something as if he were black. Yeah. And I thought... It was a very racist comment. It, it was such a racist comment. And... And because his assumption as a white, middle-class American hipster Christian is that it's black people that can't afford my line. 
And and I was when I when I read his comment, I thought he doesn't realize that he's attacking um, a price point while advocating a racism that's far more destructive. And and my response to him was, hey, you don't need a new hoodie, you need a new mindset. Because I realized that there's a mindset here. All right, so let's let's talk about like economic cash flow just for a minute. T-shirt. If I sold the T-shirt for let's say twenty-five dollars or a hoodie for like sixty dollars, which is very common, right? right? Yeah. Then no one would criticize me from this mindset, this ideology, because they would go, oh, "Okay, that's that's uh, that's the price I can afford. That, that makes it available to everyone." Except there's several things here. One is that if you're making material for to um, access the finances of the poor you're actually taking money from the poor and extricating it up to you. Ex- explain that, like uh, in the practical way. Because what you're, what you're meaning is that in order to make a garment as cheap, to make it affordable... No, there's two sides to this. No, uh, first I'm talking about the customer. Okay. See, if, if you're making things for a customer that doesn't have a lot of income. Right, it's at the entry-level price point. You're actually pulling money from them up to you so you can make more money. To me, to, yeah. to them. Yeah, whoever's selling it for It 20, ain't me. Whoever's selling I'm it for $25, the- you're taking money from people who are poor. You think you're doing a positive thing, but you're actually, you're actually creating a company to make more money for yourself from poor people. Right. And then secondly, to make that T-shirt for $25, you're making that T-shirt in Bangladesh or Pakistan and you're probably supporting uh, the the ethic of children working in sweatshops because you cannot make that T-shirt and sell it for $25 without yeah. taking advantage of someone who's not getting paid for their work. Yeah, read Shoe Dog, Phil Knight. It's a very current depiction of what was going on in factories yeah. within Nike in the last 60, 70 yeah. years. So, so then you have American millennials going, I think it's wrong to charge $180, right. but, it's, but we're also against child slave labor and um, and sweatshops, but we don't want to pay the difference to make sure that no one is taken advantage of. It, it is the and, same thing, is the same th- thing in an in, in idea when people go, I, I, I'm against illegal immigration, but I like cheap groceries. That was Mariah McManus giving us a cameo. She doesn't want to come in here, so she, woke, she walked on the far side of that hallway, so she didn't have to come in here. But, but I'm going to keep going. But would you agree or disagree with my statement? Absolutely. Yeah. No, no. Okay. This is, this is a, like, decide which ideal you want because it's going to shape your ideology. Right. It, it, you cannot say, I'm against child labor and sweatshops and I'm against higher prices for products I have to buy. You are one or the other. And uh, and don't pretend that you're for uh, an equal wage and a fair wage for people everywhere in the world, and then get angry because you can't get it for twenty five dollars, and or thirty dollars. Secondly, if so, I didn't make things uh, to get people who are struggling every day to buy my stuff on purpose, which is a weird projection that people place on you mm-hmm. because it's. It, it doesn't go like, hey, you've outpriced us. Mm-hmm. It goes, you are stealing from the poor. And I'm like, no. I made actually, sure the poor could not afford what I was selling. 
actually, well, I, yeah. No, well, that because, was not what I was going to say. But what you actually did is you made sure poor people were making your clothes. You actually paid people a fair yes. wage to make your clothes. That's right. There's nobody in a sweatshop making my stuff. No. And so, but it's also that I'm not trying to find a strategy to get rich on poor people. Secondly, if I had made a product for the middle class. So we're having two different conversations because yeah. you're having conversations as an owner of a business. Yes. And I'm trying to also show the, the, the side from the consumer. Yes. So I'm like, if you're buying this stuff from these places, you have to understand what you're buying. And then you're saying as an owner of a business and a creator of clothing, mm-hmm. if I make things at this price point, you have to understand what you're buying. Yeah. And you don't have to agree with me, but I, I want you to understand the ideology behind your criticism, right? And you have to accept it. I also think most people don't really know cl- like the apparel like industry well, and but, know how things are made. But I do. When you buy socks, yeah, thirty-two pairs of socks from Costco from a company that makes them in Pakistan, you have to understand. You should Google what a fair wage is in Pakistan because mm-hmm. it's a fair wage might be a dollar. It might be 50 cents mm-hmm. U.S. So it's like you have to justify in your own mind what that fair wage is, and mm-hmm. you have to understand it, right? I'm not yeah. saying that everything is like that, but a lot of it's like that. Yes. So secondly, if I'd made things, let's say, for um, the middle class, which I, I haven't really made a lot for what I would call people middle income. income. But that already does. We release normal right. hoodies and sweatshirts and coffee mugs. Everyone in that middle income world can buy battle ready. They can buy uh, church merch right. from Mosaic right. because we're making it accessible to pretty much everyone. And because it's really just about the brand loyalty. Right. And people wanting to, like us wanting people to connect and access it. I consciously did not create a line that would compete with the customer for Battle Ready and for Mosaic and for all the other churches that create church merch and everything like that, because I did not want to go in competition with the, the church fan kind of customer base. By the way, when you make... When you make a product for that base, you're just moving money sideways. We're, we're, for the middle class. Middle class. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a middle class person selling it to a middle class person. Right. And you're, and, and you're just moving money sideways. You're not moving it down. You're not moving it up. Ironically, the, the wealthy and uh, those people with a large amount of discretionary income, they're, they're actually the target group for my line because I'm actually trying to, to draw wealth to buy the product. So these are people who spend this kind of money without even blinking an eye. I'm actually pulling money from the rich back into the middle class, back into those who are struggling um, and just in the working class everyday people. So I've helped a dozen plus people have income just by starting this company. And it's being paid for first by me because I'm the one putting all the investment in. And then it's being recompensated by the rich who are buying beautiful things because it's something they can enjoy. And so what you're saying is that it's not trickling up. It's actually trickling down. It's pulling money down. Right. And so, which is an interesting I- idea because I don't think it's a concept most people don't understand in the situation that that not all luxury goods are made like this. But when you're, when you're buying a luxury good from like a, a startup, from a new company, mm-hmm. 99.9% we, our focus is on craftsmanship. Yeah. Because if we don't make something well, 
people will not continue to buy at the price point in which we're selling. That's right. Which is why if something breaks, send it back to us. We will fix it. We'll help repair <laughs> it. There's like things that you do in the beginning of like a high-end mm-hmm. company because things will break. Things will fall apart. Things will happen because it's, mm-hmm. it's what we're doing. We're building. But with that, like let's walk through the list because the guy who made the jackets in the factory and his team, mm-hmm. Fair Wage in Los Angeles. Yes. Factory here Everything's locally. been made here in LA. The head of production mm-hmm. who was, was furloughed from his main job, his partner who printed on things, who made mm-hmm. his wife, who made labels, mm-hmm. who, right, like starting a business, yeah. so, at, so at the at the, at the the middle, and then you're you're paying models, you're paying friends to put clothes on, because all the models were friends, and then you're paying the photographer, and then you're paying the web team, and you're paying the XYZ. You have built things, and what people don't understand is that you've hired a bunch of people who did not have jobs, or people who are really great at their job. Mm-hmm. And so you've actually helped build the economy with the trickle down, right. the pulling of the finances down, not the pulling of the finances up. Right. And I have the capacity to do that. And so if I don't do that, that actually allows money to remain static at the top without ever pulling down. One of our friends, or one of your best friends, Matt, his dad builds houses. Really nice houses. And I, he, we went out and saw one of the houses he's building out in Malibu. I don't know what that house is worth. I like mean, $10 million? Uh, or, it, was, it was insane. It's beautiful. The, yeah. But everyone there working on that house could not afford that house. We were not even building the house. We could not we afford, afford the house. house. Sorry. And uh, everyone, in fact, almost everyone I met was uh, an ethnic minority. Right. Where English was their second language. And and so when you're looking at that house being built, you think, oh, what? that's horrible that someone's building a $10 million house because that's the way we've been taught. Mm. And, and I'm going, the fact that that person is building a $10 million house, it means that, that an endless number of people are getting work. And they're going to have income for yes. their family, and they're going to have money for Christmas and money to put food on their table and money to pay their rent or buy their house because someone who has wealth is actually activating that wealth. And one of the things that really struck me with, with Marx is that he saw surplus as evil Yes, and was really trying to figure out how to eliminate surplus. And what we need to realize is that even Marx understood that without the middle class, and without the rich, the ideals of socialism wouldn't work because you need them to finance it. Marx is, <laughs> is, is the servant in the parable who put the money in the ground and buried it. Yeah, that was one thing that really struck me is I couldn't really identify a single job that Karl Marx ever Actually, took in his life. Yeah. And, and, then, and then he spent a lot of his life being financed by rich people. When he did get financed by rich people, he would put his kids in private school. And so, and so, <laughs> so there's an interesting juxtaposition there in terms of ideals and ideologies. See, because even Karl Marx did not live out his ideals, and he certainly didn't actually even turn it into an ideology. He had ideas but he didn't really live the ideals because they didn't match the life he wanted. And what, I, what I'm really addressing is this idea that creating wealth is evil and that, that generating um, a company is somehow unbiblical or unlike Jesus. I think the big, I think the big, and I want you, do you have more, do you have more no, than saying that? You know, because I think the big challenge is for people to break through, which is, which is that you're a pastor starting a luxury brand. 
That's the big. But that's why the, is that it, is that yeah. is the the what is it the straw in their right. the log in their eye? Right. But why is why is it acceptable for a pastor to start a um, a junk line? Well, the I, <laughs> you know, I, don't know what, I don't know the right phrase for it would what? be like. Yeah. So if look, uh, I, I don't know. Say, but no, but the, one of the irony is that yeah. people one of the people that were criticizing you yeah. sells houses. And that is de- far more expensive than the jackets that we sell. Houses are, and are, yeah, he was saying, "How dare you make jackets that um, the everyday person can't afford?" And I, then I just checked his Instagram. I'm going, "You're selling houses that people can't afford," which is the irony because you're and, putting them in debt to uh, and get living the house. a lifestyle that most people can't afford. But I don't and posting you. about it. Oh, the selfies, the selfies of the cars and the houses. But no, but the whole point. I don't judge that person because I I'm ju- not I advocating do. an ideology. I what, what I'm saying is um, you need to Sentence step to five back years. and look and see if you actually have an ideology that makes you dogmatic and rigid and makes you judgmental. Yeah. And the- then you're in super- imposing your ideology on Jesus. Yes. Because the, the best part is when they can't win the argument, they don't apologize. They just start quoting verses that they don't understand. Which I I always find but, fascinating, but no, no. But this one I want, to, I want you to address it. You're a pastor starting a luxury line. Why, and why is it not wrong biblically? Well, first of all, if you actually read through the whole Old Testament, almost every single person that God used to mark human history, we was all a person know that great... people who use Twitter and Instagram to bash us do not read the Bible. They only read <laughs> the quotes. Yeah. They read the headlines. Yeah. They don't actually know the Bible. That's the best part. I was struck how when that, that... They might read it. They just don't know it. When that woman came and broke the alabaster jar yes. that was worth an entire year's salary and anointed Jesus' feet, he didn't use that moment to teach them about economics and waste and surplus. And instead, Jesus taught them about love and gratitude and worship. But what did the disciples say in that moment? Yeah, it's funny. The disciples were the ones and the Pharisees that were care, that cared about the economics of it. And Jesus was the one who never even saw the economics of it. He saw the motive of the woman's love and compassion and generosity. And the moment you try to turn Jesus into an economist, you've actually become a disciple of Karl Marx, not of Jesus of Nazareth. So now the argument is, no, but she gave it to him for free. And the argument that I would use is like, well, Jesus turned water into wine. It was the best wine. But like, no, but Jesus gave it away for free. She gave it away for free after having earned it from a year of prostitution. Okay, that's awkward. It is awkward. And what we need to realize is that uh, if modern-day Christians were in that moment they would, they would condemn her for using wealth improperly gained um, for a display of, of love or sacrifice generosity. And, and I'm sitting here looking and going, the spirit of Jesus is so different than the spirit of Christianity. And, when, uh, and he doesn't even judge her for, for how she for bought how that, she got it. and we judge each other for everything that the other person does. Can we? Do, can we? Can we I, can, oh, I think going, it's it's a, a terrible indictment on on our spirit. And um, so I, I I'm going to tell you. Uh, Wait, no, I want to tell a personal story. Sure, sure, sure. These are there are two moments in our lives in the last like few years that I like that miracles. I would say they're miracles because they're just such beautiful, fun moments that like. Like how else do you explain them? But I think they're important to talk about. We don't really ever talk about it because we're not those people. But 
we kind of are now. So let's talk about it. One of them being we rode on a friend of yours, a bunch of your friends, but not a bunch, but like a few of your friends have private planes. And we were in New York the last time and one of your friends texted you and it was like on the day of your release of, of, of um, The Way of the Warrior. So it was like kind of a funny thing. Me and you were staying in in, 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 in New York in the city. We were meeting with your, your new publishers, yeah. which was like really cool for the, yeah. the book that's coming out next year. And your friend was like, hey, we're in New York. Let's hang out. And then we like couldn't hang out. And then they were like, change your flight or come come fly with us. And you were, but, like, but I didn't realize they meant on their, their plane. plane. And but you, I already you have my tickets. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I don't know. We're like in the lobby or something, and we're like having lunch. And you're like, I don't want to change my flights to fly with them. That's annoying. Yeah. I was like, Dad, they don't fly like us. They're on their plane. They want us to go on the plane with them. Say yes, or I'll never forgive you. I want to go on the plane. <laughs> and so, so, and they're like the best ever. So we go on the plane, and when we're landing. They're like the most con, like they're the most, like also they're very, very intelligent. Mm -hmm. They're like, look, do not post that you're on the plane. We would just never want you to get bashed. Like we're like really private about Mm -hmm. even our own success. We don't want you to get bashed. And I'm, and because we were taking some photos after, because they were like, take photos, like this is so fun. And like, let's do it. And we're all like taking photos together. And it was like, we're like, we can't believe we're on a plane. <laughs> it's also like the sickest, <laughs> the sickest plane ever. Like I've been on a few, this is the coolest yeah. one I've ever been on. And, but the point of that was attached to this, I'm living in a house I cannot afford out of the generosity of someone who owns the house and has rented it to me at such at such an incredible price, and I'm living inside of the miracle of his generosity. Mm-hmm. This is the point, and that's the phrase I'm trying to get to, the miracle of other people's generosity. Mm-hmm. I hate that we have to hide the miracle from people who can't see it because the miracle is not that I own a plane, and if I did amazing and I would use like a school bus I would have people on that plane all the time because that's the way I would live my life and I do live my life but it is tragic and tragedy that we're not able to be louder about our moments of joy mm-hmm. moments of fun moments of random miracles in our life mm-hmm. because like I you know we didn't we like aren't on that level mm-hmm. but I'm living inside of a miracle of someone else's generosity mm-hmm. and instead of going living in this house and being like, I can't believe he owns this $6 million house that I'm staying in right now. I'm like, no, I'm just going to invite all of my friends over all the time and have dinners there every night and let people receive the miracle that I've received and be a part of it, right? And it's a mentality thing. Instead of getting jealous, bring joy to other people's life. Like, you know what I mean? Because like, those are two moments where I'm like, no, I wish... I wish they didn't have to warn us not to post the photo mm-hmm. because of what people will say about us. Yeah. I wish people just realized, like, no, no, they're living a life with so much sacrifice. And there's also really bad moments when you get to have these fun ones. Yeah. It just makes it that much more. And both those families enjoyed. you named are so incredibly wealthy, and they're the most generous, kind, gracious, Christ-like people. And it was, and I hope it's okay that we're talking about it because I we. I didn't. We didn't ask for it. And and when the when the guy who's our close friend now, your close friend, and a friend of mine as well, like took me to the house. I had like sit up like three days working on the new Erwin mm-hmm. Afiyam like Manus project. And I and I you were like, buddy, this is crazy. And I was like, yeah, I know. Is this even real? And I like wasn't able to show joy because I was just so exhausted. I was like, I'm so happy right now, but I can't even smile. And I and I told you, I said, I had been having this conversation with God where I'm like, I'm really mad at you. And I felt like it was this moment 
in Malachi where he says, throw open the storehouses and test me in this. Mm-hmm. You, there's no way you can outgive God. Mm-hmm. And I just had this moment where I was like, I told God I was mad at him. And he said, let me just remind you how much you mean to me. Mm. And, it, and even though it was like an economic value in this moment, I was like, it had nothing to do with the economics. It had nothing to do with the fact that I couldn't afford this. It had everything to do with the fact that this would not have ever happened if God hadn't done it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I was living inside that miracle of someone else's generosity, and the, and it's now up to me to say yes to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the mentality that people miss, is they go, God is trying to do some things in your life that are so far beyond your ability to see it, but you say no because you're so worried criticizing someone else's life mm-hmm. that you're not actually seeing what God is trying to do in your own. Mm-hmm. And that is the thing that is heartbreaking to me with people that criticize us for certain things. Because I'm like, you don't know our hearts. You just see a price tag, and then you start throwing judgments at us. Right. So here are a couple of uh, ideological red flags. When um, when you judge other people for living their life th- uh, differently than the way you live your life. Okay. Uh, when you um, are certain that other people are evil when they've made things un- unaffordable to you. <laughs> And, uh, it's crazy. Uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, when pe- someone uh, Instagrammed and said, "Hey, um, is your are your products affordable to the common person?" Mm-hmm. and and my immediate thought was, I didn't create common pieces. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't targeting quote common. I want, and that's the problem with Christianity is that we we just target garbage and common. And and we we destroy anyone who wants to create something that's uncommon, yeah. and and unique. Um, there's this family um, that's incredibly influential in the world of art and theater and everything. A lot of things in LA are named after them, yeah, and they're all family and a lot of buildings. And um, we were invited to. They, they do these conversations. They invite like twelve people to their house from all over the world, and then they pick a topic. And then you talk for the next three or four hours around dinner and that topic. The yeah. first time I was invited to their house, the question was, um, can beauty save the world? Right. And and that's where I made some friends, got to know some people, and I was always shocked I was invited to this home. And 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 they love doing these like um, intellectual um, festivals, you know, where right. you're just yeah. having these private talks. And and um, and so I started dialoguing with them when I started the brand. And I said, I'll never forget what Howard told me over 10 years ago when I started my first fashion company. He said, don't make Christian crap. And, <laughs> and, and I said, well, you know, my, my goal is not to make crap and I'm going to do the best I can. Yeah. And so this time I wanted them to know and I noticed that he started following us. And uh, oh, That's cool. And the only way you're going to ever get an engagement with people who are incredibly successful and have incredible affluence and have the opportunity to make a huge difference in the world is to create things that impress and surprise and astonish them. And uh, and what a lot of people don't realize it is the reason we have such little influence in that percentage of the culture that influences everything yeah. is that we are happy with $25 t-shirts that make us feel like we're Jesus rather than pressing ourselves against all the criticism to create astonishing things that are not affordable to the common, but that actually 
pull people in because you've created something extraordinary, something beautiful, uh, something that uh, that makes um, that reflects, I think, the imagination and creativity and genius of God. Yeah. And and and, and I thought this was a, an important conversation because I wonder how many of us settle for the ordinary because there's no criticism there, hmm. rather than press to the extraordinary to go against the grain and to take whatever heat may come. Turn up the heat, said Erwin Raphael McManus. Um, <laughs> I love this conversation. It's been going on for a while, and so I think we should wrap this up. But also I just think that you kind of nailed it on the head, and I love that you broke us broke down this idea of ideas, ideals, and ideologies. I think this is something we need to come back to as well, because I think we should do, we just need to, I think that's like the filter and the thing that we need to cross-check everything by. Is this an idea, ideal, and ideology? And should we undo the ideology? Should we press forward towards the ideal? And should we like continue to have ideas? Mm -hmm. That's If there's anything that like I think um, wraps up what this podcast is all about is that idea, that construct. Mm. Um, question everything and think <laughs> freely and so I want to wrap up this podcast thank you so much for I feel like I got to have the best I just got to go to school right now <laughs> <laughs> it's great to be together oh it's so good to be together Merry we're Christmas getting, Merry Christmas we're getting so close I hope you have a wonderful Christmas yes and that you enjoy your family and friends and loved ones yes and we are taking a few weeks off and so this is the last podcast in December this is December 18th and we will see you in the new year in 2020 and 2021. Oh my goodness. 2020.2. I don't want to see you in 2020. I don't I want Groundhog Day. I don't want this <laughs> again. Oh my gosh. What if it started over? 2021, here you come. 2021, we believe you're coming and we're going to go. We're diving towards you. Um, a couple of things. If you're missing the podcast, we're probably going to play some, some older episodes that maybe you haven't heard. But we also invite you to church on Sunday at mosaic.org slash live. Um, we're doing a Home for the Holiday series, and it's really awesome. So join us for that. Also, Merry Christmas, and we're so grateful that you listen. You can rate and review this podcast on iTunes. You can share it on Spotify, and you can watch it on YouTube. We are wearing the same clothes as last episode with a new hoodie and a new flannel. So I'm excited. I'm flying to New York right now, and it's going to be cold. I'll Merry Christmas. Happy Merry Christmas. Year. Bye.